Lee Whitehorn, 44 years of age, father of two, married to Laura, siblings, Luke, Jay, Rachel and Jane. Uh, one father, two mums. That's me in a nutshell, footy coach. I uh, look at myself as just the average, everyday, run-of-the-mill bloke. Why am I here today? Um, to talk about my diagnosis um, that I received, oh, not great with dates, but I'm going to say about six weeks ago. Um, and I was diagnosed uh, initially with a lesion, which I think is a nice word initially for a tumour or cancer. And I was diagnosed with a diffused glioblastema. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 8 of the C Word Podcast. My name is Luke. I'm here with my brother, Lee. Hi, how are you? We kind of briefly caught up the other day, but we haven't caught up properly for a while. So, uh, so what's going on? Just the standard kids, holidays, mother-in-law is down, just helping out while I go through my second or start my second phase of this treatment, which involved like another uh, each the first day of each cycle of these treat this new treatment it's about around twelve to fourteen hours in hospital. Oh wow! The first day. Okay. And then it's you follow up again with about three hours the next day. So we're just starting to get to the back end of that now, where it's petering off a little bit, mm. uh, which is good. But yeah, Klaza has been here for that time, and she's been an unbelievable help. So I guess we got a few things to catch up on today so that's been a few weeks now i think how many weeks has it been since we last uh, three four yeah so how has the treatment been going so far yes back in june so when, how has the treatment been going up until now well, it's pretty good the first couple of days were pretty rough just when your body's not used to taking medication at that level um, so it was more I, than like, your previous chemo it's a different drug okay the volume is greater. There's still a chemo. Effectively, they're both a chemo tablet. The other ones are different. It's a, it's a trial, so it's a different type. And I take the same chemo tablet that I had taken previously, but a much smaller dose. Mm. And effectively, it's a trial, right? It's flexible, but they don't want it to be flexible in terms of any type of medication that you're taking, anything mm. at all, any type of tablets, whether it's fish oil, whether it's vitamin B, whether it's Whatever, they need to know. Mm-hmm. And then they need to know whether or not that will have an impact on the absorption of the particular drug that you're taking. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got to go through all of that process and, and they also want you to try it without anti-nausea tablets. Okay. Which for anyone out there that's, that's taken chemo medication, I tried it once when I was on chemo, a heavier dose, and uh, I'd run out of anti-nausea and I thought, you know, being me being the idiot that I am. No. I thought, ah, oh, I'll be all right. I can get away with this. I don't need the chemo, the anti-nausea. I'll just take the tablets. And I had an appointment in Brisbane at that point in time and it was during COVID. So I was only, on my, I was on my own. I had just had some yogurt and I hadn't had my anti-nausea. And then nausea comes on really quickly with this type of medication. Well, for me anyway, it does. It's not something that lingers around all day it just happens really quickly and i remember sitting there waiting and i could feel everything starting to, and i'm like oh, oh goodness i'm 
I think I'm going to be ill. <laughs> that sound very old, don't, don't I? Saying oh, I'm going to be ill. Be Ill. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't reality, know if it would have came out quite the same when you're in the moment. No, right? I was thinking, oh shit, I'm going to vomit. <laughs> so probably more the terminology that was running through my head. And I thought, can I hang on to it? And I reckon I lasted about five seconds and went, no. Mm. And I sprinted to the toilet and I learned pretty quickly. If you have any nausea issues, Take, take the tablets. Take the tablets, absolutely. Don't be a hero. Take the tablets. And uh, so you're not allowed to take those. Any, you're not meant to. They want you to try without. So I was a bit nauseous on my first night. Mm. And I initially thought, oh, gosh, this is what it's going to be like. I'm going to be nauseous all the time. And you really quickly start to weigh up the pros and cons. <laughs> oh, I'm going to sound terrible here. But you're like, oh, God. I think I'd rather just roll off the perch than be nauseous every day. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, the little warrior in your head goes, no, don't be a weak bastard. And then I found out after a couple of days that if I wanted, I could take the anti-nausea tablets. Oh, right. And I was like, well, yeah, I will. I was managing, but I was feeling nauseous. Mm. And, and feeling nauseous has that impact on your on your diet, obviously, and Getting good food and, and stuff into your body is, is pretty critical when you're going through stuff like this. So I was I was very thankful that they allowed me to go into the anti nausea tablets and there's been lots of lots of reporting to the clinical trial unit. To be honest, they've been fantastic. They're they're really nice and considerate people, and it's just an interesting thing to go through because you're sort of sitting there thinking, I'm not on a standard drug that has been around forever because a lot of the medication in chemotherapy anyway is particularly when it comes to the brain it's very old Mm. so going on to a clinical trial is something really new it's a bit adventurous i suppose it's a bit of a privilege also because you it's limited to the numbers that Mm. it's offered to so i'm going pretty well in that perspective like i said it took two or three days for the body to settle and adjust and everyone's different some people might take longer some people might not happen at all but it takes a while for your body to adjust to taking on these drugs and then going whoa hang on i'm not feeling right but you quickly work out your when to take them and make sure you're consuming you know good volumes of fluid and so forth and and what to eat post medication You've even got to be mindful in that space because you don't want to eat anything too rich and too too full on. You just want to get something into your belly. So, But, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, not heading to our favourite Indian place down at... Not just yet. <laughs> not just yet. Now, nah, look, I could, to be honest, and now that you've said that... <laughs> so good. I found the best one over here. <laughs> and head down there for some lamb barra cutlets. <laughs> So, yeah, that, that's been going well. I have had well, – this is a bit of a hard one to talk about, to be honest. It's, I have had – with anything in located tumor-wise where mine is located, mm. it can have an impact on, I guess, your – and Laura could correct me on this – but your ability to, to regulate your emotions okay. is impacted on where it's located. And, and I have always prided myself on my ability to mm-hmm. regulate my emotions very well and generally keep myself very calm and so forth. And But I've struggled in a couple of patches over the last couple of weeks with that. Okay. In what way? Just what little it look things. Like? I got angry at Max the other week. Mm. There had been a bit of a build-up of behavioural things from the kids mm. that I would normally probably absorb and find another way to manage my way through it. But I, I got angry with Max and 
and I was quite loud with him and and basically told him to go and have some quiet time and in a manner that I normally wouldn't. Okay. And it wasn't a moment that I was proud of because I immediately recognised, why did I do that? Why did mm. I behave? Why did I speak so loud mm. to my five-year-old who, you know, if you yell at an adult, they don't listen. Mm. A lot of it goes over the top. And, and that just, you know, sort of goes up and up and up. When it comes to kids, you can't speaking to them in that manner is just not a productive thing. So that was that was a moment for me. That's probably the moment mm. where I just thought, oh, geez, that was really poor. Mm. And you go back and try and think of what, why did I behave that way? Mm. But the reality is with something like this, it's you, know, you go through moments where, and it depends on what the team is doing, I suppose. I don't know. Again, I'm not an expert in this space because for 90-odd percent of the time, I'm pretty good with regulating my emotion. Mm. But I have had a couple of occasions where I, where I haven't in the manner in which I normally would. And that's hard to get your head around because because it's not you, mm. if that makes sense, mm. in normal behavior. What did it feel like in the moment? Was it just that you the patience that would normally exist or the tools yep. that would normally exist just weren't there. It was just like out patience. the window. Patience, yeah. definitely patience. And the ability to find a solution. But, but normally patience. you could regulate by going, I ran out of patience. I'm going to leave this situation because Correct. I need to find some before I come back yeah. because I can acknowledge that if I lose yeah. my patience of this individual, it's not going to be a pleasant outcome. So I'm just going to cut and run. But you yep. obviously acted on it rather than cut and run so it's it's that type of yep. moment yep okay. yep and max hasn't seen me like that and that really upset him and i'm really lucky that he's just such a beautiful little boy and was he, he knew that there was something not right mm. and he asked me afterwards are you okay dad and i said well yeah i'm okay now but i'm, I'm upset for talking and being you know so loud mm. and i'm really sorry it's hard to say to a tear boy, to a five-year-old. That's pretty heartbreaking, to be honest, to think you behave in that manner. Mm. So, yeah, I did have that moment and you feel like, and I'm sure there's plenty of people out there with similar tumours that would be going through or have gone through. Mm. It's not a consistent thing for me at all. Like it's, it's not something that occurs every day or every week or at all. But particularly when it's like things start compiling Mm. on top of each other where you've got things happening in the house, kids not behaving, something else not happening, maybe the laptop's not working right for you or someone hasn't answered a phone call and all these things start compiling and then normally you would regulate through all that and go, oh, well, someone's not answering the phone, that's okay. Laptop's not working. I'll give it 10 minutes, I'll turn it off, I'll turn it on, maybe it works again, all of those. Type. You kind of lose that and your reaction is one of ah, frustration and I guess that's something, yeah, yeah, I've had to acknowledge that it's not something that I can then just go in and simply fix. Mm. I can be more aware of it and rather than letting moments build up, you know, when one or two have built up, you know, I need to address it then and, I don't know, talk to Laura mm. or to someone and say, oh, look, I'm just, I'm a little bit on edge. Mm. Yeah, so that was a something I was tossing up as to whether or not I spoke about <laughs> because <laughs> it's hard to acknowledge. It's hard to sit there because you feel like you've failed you failed yourself and then you failed your family or whoever that is that you've impacted. Mm. And that's a difficult failure. You know, no one 
well, I don't know, maybe some people are comfortable with failure and I'm, I'm not, mm. particularly not in that, in that space. I think it's about what failure point. represents in that, right? So when you start looking at it from a point of like I failed someone, I think there's also got to be somewhere in that where you have to give yourself some space to go, you know, this is a situation that you haven't had to deal with before, right? And it's and, and you've demonstrated previously particular types of behaviors that have always been really consistent and regulated and, you know, managed it well. And so I think it's probably the failure piece or the part where you feel you're let down is that your tools let you down because the operating system isn't operating the way that it used to operate, right? We can sit here and we can talk about optimism. We can talk about all the treatments and we can do whatever, but there's this this shadow part that will begin to show itself in that process. And so it's a matter of uncovering that, I think, as well for other people out there who kind of go, yep, I'm the same. I can cope with that treatment or I can deal with that thing. But, you know, much like when we first started talking and what we used this for was like, what do you need from me? What do you need from family? What do you need from these people around you? Like, how else do we operate in this space? I think this is an important conversation to kind of look at, well, what does it mean when all of a sudden a shadow part of yourself shows up that you have to find a way to integrate or deal with one that was previously regulated and now not. And it's literally because this thing is impacting in that part of the the operating system of your brain. And I guess that's why I spoke to Laura about it quite a bit. She was like, you know, you should talk about this. Mm. Well, it's not that easy to talk about because mm, it is a, it's an incredibly vulnerable space. But that's, I mean, yeah, I guess, you know, that's what this is about. It's about talking about this stuff. So it's just not an easy space to to talk about. But once you've done it, it is a, it is good because then you're, you've acknowledged it. You're aware of that fault. And from here on in, I know that I'm not the person that I was in terms of I can absorb an enormous amount mm. and then find the right time. I can choose the time to regulate. Well, I used to be able to do that. And now look, to be, I, I still can for the majority of the time, but there are, yeah, when you've got those build-ups, that ability to regulate becomes probably a little little more ineffective. That's mm. like and if you're thinking of it like if you, if you go to the gym and you know you've got an injury, right? Like you know you can still do majority of the things, but there's going to be times where if overexerted, it's going to aggravate that injury, right? And so it's almost thinking of it in that similar way. You can absorb and manage and regulate emotionally for majority of the part, but there's going to be a point where if there's an overexertion, actually it's going to aggravate it more than what someone who doesn't have that injury, if that makes sense. Not to trivialize it, but to almost kind of... No, no, that, that's no, that's, yeah, that's, how, that's how it is. That's how I look at it anyway. Okay. And it's also when you acknowledge this stuff, you feel like, oh, Jesus... Does this mean it's all breaking down? Does this mean it's all going to fall apart? But at the same time, I think I'm still pretty confident in the majority of the things that I do. Mm. I just have to be more cognizant of those things. I'm more aware of that build-up and speak up a little bit more when it is getting like that. There's almost a bit of a lesson here, though, for you in terms of you have always been the individual who, whilst you're very good at emotionally regulating, I wonder where the regulation comes in versus where you did need to speak up and speak your mind and clear out that thing, you know, like it's it's actually asking of you a different to try and look at it in a more, I don't know, optimistic way for just a moment. It's almost like you, there's a lesson here of to speak up to to focus on well actually what do I need in this moment versus which you've done a lot in your life which is I'll just bear it and bear it and bear it and bear it and bear it you know like and, and that that also can have an impact over time right in terms of just constantly being the brunt of something and not 
speaking up or going, actually, do you know what? Emotionally, I don't need this or this doesn't work for me or I'm not happy with this particular situation. I don't know. Maybe it's a... I'm trying to look for something in it. Maybe there's a lesson in it in some way. Look, it could be. It's really hard to differentiate, but differentiate, <laughs> differentiate, um, differentiate <laughs> between the two. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, my first response is I've just had a build up of things that I haven't dealt with, and that's why I behaved in the manner that I did. But then there's also the consideration of oh, maybe it is starting to have a bit of an impact on me. And it's probably one of those things that can fluctuate, you know, like it mm. depends on what's happening inside the head with the tumor and everything else. Did um, you speak to your psych, like the counselor or psychologist or? Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah, what did they say no. about it? Oh, look, similar, similar stuff. Mm. Yep, similar stuff. And she said, you know, that's the unfortunate part of these types of things is that you can start to lose that ability to regulate and control emotion. And it doesn't mean that you can't work on it. Okay. doesn't mean that you can't become more aware of it, being more aware of it and knowing when the build-up's coming and then remove yourself from the situation or or whatever you need to do or mm-hmm. let someone know, like I said, rather than just holding on to it, retaining it and so forth. So, yeah, that was a tough moment because as a father, I then had to walk away and think, just for a moment I've broke my little boy's heart with the way that I dealt with that. That's hard. That's really hard. Mm. I'm just, I'm very lucky that I've got young boys and Max in particular who, I guess because we've always had a really affectionate relationship, I've always showed a lot of love and, and he always shows a lot back. And he's of an understanding that he knows that the boo-boo in my brain is not, <laughs> not a great thing. He's almost forgiving. Because, he, he, you know, he was ready to give me a hug within 20 minutes. And I had to try really hard not to cry in front of him because I just, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to have a you know breakdown in front of him. Mm. But I, I was just really overwhelmed and happy that he had effectively forgiven me and and didn't, you know, I don't know, label me as a bad dad and, and not want to associate with me. If that had been the case, I would have been probably decidedly worse. You know, I would have been... That, that really would have broken my heart. So, But children are resilient, right? And we, we've all been through a million different things up and downs. And I think, you know, one bad situation is not going to have him at five years of age kind of pull away from it. Sure, he may have, you know, some effect as a result of it. But I think you naturally in that resolve would come back and, you know, rectify it with him and talk through it all and talk through the emotions. I think probably more so in it, did you forgive yourself? Easier said than done. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really hard thing. Oh, can you forgive yourself 90%? What would happen if you did? What would happen if you did forgive yourself because it's a, a, a bug in the operating system? Because, it's again, it's like accepting that behavior. For me, hmm. in my state, it's going, if I forgive myself for that, for speaking to him that way, would I normally accept that of myself? I probably no. I, I wouldn't forgive myself for that behavior. I would just work really hard on correcting it. What if he was in your situation and he did it to you? Would you forgive him? If he was a kid and I was an adult or the other way around? Like, yeah, of course I would. Yeah, exactly. Of course I would. Yeah, And I think there's, there's uh, always that consideration of you would forgive him immediately as your child. And, and I think then we forget as the child within ourselves, you know, the same emotional piece that sits with inside us as the individual. 
needs the same level of love, needs the same yeah. level of forgiveness. Because do you know what? You do know better, but you couldn't operate better because of these things. So it doesn't mean that you accept the behavior as a norm, but you accept the behavior as an outcome of a situation that you were in effect almost out of control of. And I think that's probably the hard part because we think we can control so many things. But actually in this situation, when you've got that bug in the operating system, it's like you didn't know you couldn't control it. You know, you don't get angry at your body or maybe you do sometimes if you do come up and you get an injury for something, but you accept that the injury exists, you know, like, and you kind of go, okay, frustrating, sure. But my body's obviously overexerted. So I accept that the body's overexerted. It's not my normal state, but I accept it. And I think sometimes, as you say, easier said than done, but I, I think there is a power in the forgiveness which in essence is the acceptance of, you know, the situation rather than carrying that burden, I guess. I'm very grateful and lucky that I've got the family that I have immediately around me that understand that. Mm -hmm. And and I'm really grateful. You know, there's, I guess if there's a positive to come out of it, to see my son behave the way that he did, gives me hope that he's going to continue to grow into a really beautiful young man, which he is already. He's very, he's like that at school, you know. He'll help the kid that needs help, you know, before going and hanging out with the cool kids. So he has a really beautiful nature. So that warms your heart. He made the process. I can't believe a five-year-old made that process easier for me to absorb. So as much as it was a bad moment, it, I was, it was almost a proud moment because I was really proud of him, mm. the way that he handled it at that age. So, yeah, so. Which is also um, a reflection of you, by the way. You know, kids are a reflection of their environment as much as they are their own unique little soul. They are a reflection of, of the behaviors that they've learned, right? And you've you've taught uh, him, yeah. you and Laura have taught him, well, everyone has, you know, but, but you and Laura, let's talk specifically, have, 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 have helped to, to nurture that type of response as well in that. So as much as you want to beat yourself up over it, sure, you slipped, but actually the safeguard was you've helped to nurture the behaviors of this young young boy who's turned around and gone, do you know what? I'm just going to understand and accept it and respond in a way that makes you feel like, okay, he's okay. Yep. The fighter element in me is like, okay, I'll find a way to completely correct this mm. and not do this again. And that's my headset. And, you know, and I guess that's the idea of the treatment and the clinical trial is that the more work that can do, then the more impact it has in that space and, and that's a great thing. So it doesn't knock the hope out of you. It did for a little bit, for a moment, to sit there and think, God, oh, is this how I'm going to behave with my kids or anyone for that matter? And look at, you know, inevitably at some point that time will come. And that's a horrible, scary thought. Mm. But I, I just hope that's for a long time. Yeah, I was going to say, how do you, because it's actually, it's funny that you said hope because I was sitting here thinking, going, what, is, what does that hope look like you look like for you now? And I guess with you saying that, it's like, how do you regulate that, those thoughts? How do you, how do you reconcile, not more than regulate, how do you reconcile with those dealing with oh, those? It's just a thoughts? reset. It's just a reset for me. It's a re hit the reset button when something happens like that. Understand it, acknowledge it, provide a solution, which we did, and then hit the reset button because, you know, you had a moment and it wasn't a good one. Whether it was my tumor and, and the impact from that or whether it was just me that I'd, had enough at that point and I was frustrated and I was angry and I dealt with things in the wrong way. I don't know, but I've got to assume that part of it is 
from the disease. So for me, it's just a reset. You can't, again, you can't sit in it for too long. Mm-hmm. You can't wallow in it. And, and and look, it was really hard to sit there and talk to my wife about it as well because, again, that's normally my strong point and it wasn't on that day. And so to see her impacted like that, like that hurts as well. You know, that's your, that's the love of your life. That's the person that you started all of this stuff with in terms of your family and and this great part of your life. So to have to have to sit there and acknowledge that in front of her, that that's pretty that's pretty heartbreaking. Mm. I'm just incredibly lucky that she's the type of woman that the first thing she does is gives me a hug and gives me a kiss and reassures me that she loves me and all of that sort of stuff and that we move on from it. So, like I said, it's funny. One little incident and you just – and it's, it can have, a, you know, a significant impact. So, and I, look, I'm probably sounding emotional now with it, but that's because I'm talking about it now and it's new to me talking. I'm talking to people about this, not just my wife, and that's the hard part. Yeah. Because you all of a sudden, will you be judged? What will people assume of you as an individual? All of those things. And I just have to put all of this into perspective. And this is going to sound terrible. I didn't harm my, my child. I didn't hurt him. There was nothing like that. It was my language and my behavior and my response to him was poor. If it had have gone any further than that, I would be a broken man. Mm. I don't know. Hopefully this makes some sense to people out there that if you do have these moments that don't judge yourself too hardly. Hardly. It's not even a word, hardly, is it? Just don't judge yourself too hard. And for the people that are around and that are a part of it, be aware that that individual probably, it might be a behaviour that's already inherent in that individual. You don't, I don't know. But if it's not, don't judge them. Try and understand it and support them because it's it's important to then, if I hadn't acknowledged that behaviour and spoken to Laura about that, maybe I didn't, I wouldn't have dealt with it. But that process of acknowledging it and dealing with it, speaking to my son about it, speaking to Laura about it, and now doing this, it's it's actually helpful. Good. It's actually really helpful. So, yeah. It's a lesson of things, of, of learning of, of it all. And I think it's good that you have shared it today. I think it's good. One, as your brother, I'm glad to, to hear about it. But I think for anyone listening along, I think the, the important message here, it's, well, firstly, no one's casting any judgment towards you. I don't think anyone expected you to have done anything too drastic. I think you've demonstrated in these conversations kind of your care and concern around your attitude and language and behavior and all those sorts of things. So I think what this says is an individual who has found themselves demonstrating a behavior that, that, that just is so not aligned to who they are, which for you is literally just losing your call at the end of the day. It's, it's you know, to your point, raising your voice and, and speaking in a way that doesn't work for you. And, and obviously people operate differently and maybe that's a norm for some people. But I think the real message here is for those who are, have a loved one or someone that they're you know, close to that's going through a similar situation, being aware of these different shifts in behavior and responses and not casting judgment against it, rather being curious and supportive and understanding and going, wow, this is also part of that process. And so I think for me, it's really learning about these other parts of the shadow of this situation. That's probably been what I've taken away from this is we are so focused on the treatment part and we've been really focused on, you know, remain optim- optimistic in it and how do you feel physically, but actually where it's placed in the hardware in terms of where the tumor is and lives, yeah. it has such a 
an impact. And when you're not someone who works and lives in this type of space of, of medicine, you don't think of these things. But actually, when it starts to happen, you're like, wow, that's incredible how much of an impact it can have. And so what else can I do to kind of be around and support and make sure that this individual is okay in that process? So you know, I think it's a really, yeah. really good message to and good story to share. One, because vulnerability is a, a wonderful thing and I don't think it was an overexposure at all. I think it was a, a, a brave boundary set conversation, but at the same time, I, yeah, I think people need to need to hear it as well. That was, I guess that was the point of it. I was tossing and turning about it. I was speaking to Laura before. And she said, are you going to talk about that or not? And part of you is like, I don't want to reveal that vulnerability to mm. people. Mm. But then that would go against everything we've spoken about over this whole period. I thought, no, I can't, I can't do that. That won't sit well with me. This is an opportunity to talk about this. And I'm sure there's other people out there in the same situation that maybe haven't spoken or or haven't had this type of platform or, you know, to talk about this sort of stuff and, and when you hear other people who are going through the same stuff and you kind of start to not rationalise things, I guess you do to a degree, uh, but I'm certainly making a, a much more concerted effort, oh, even just with general language, like just <laughs> everyone drops the F-bomb. You know, it might be with a funny joke or something, or, but even there I'm trying to be better in that space, mm. I suppose, mm. in the hope that that helps with... You know, if I can set a different baseline, maybe, you know, that's that's how my head works anyway. Hmm. Might be completely wrong. Hmm. But if I can set a different baseline of behavior and language, then maybe that impacts on everything else up the chain. I don't, I don't know. It probably doesn't, but you've always got to try and find, I think anyway, rather than just accept it. They've got to find a way to, okay, well, how do I be better? How do I generally be better? Uh, Laura's amazing in this space. I we probably don't talk about her much in this space, but the way she educates, I'm incredibly lucky because I'd imagine there's a lot of people that don't have this. But Laura's educated herself incredibly well in this area on what can happen, mm. what the effects may be, all of this sort of stuff. And that's, re look, it's, to me, it's reassuring. She's 10 steps ahead of me. She's gathering all this education and knowledge so that I don't have to, and she can just gradually feeds me bits. Mm. Oh, I learned this. I read this. And it's always at an appropriate time. And she's really quite good at that. Look, I hope there's a lot of other people out there with someone like my wife or whether it's a sibling or whoever, I don't, you know, whoever it is or a friend or whatever. But it makes an enormous difference going through the process. So, but yeah. That's probably enough for me anyway. <laughs> no, it's good. I think it's good. I think what I've heard here is outside of all the stuff we've spoken about, there's great things around always adapting your character. There's an importance here of people remaining curious with those around them, whether they're sick or not, if there's responses to things that you don't naturally see. And I kind of believe a lot in this in terms of when I'm working one-to-one -one with clients and things like that is remain curious because you know what? If it's something that's unusual, there's probably a reason for it. And we all operate from our own system. We all play everything from our own perspective and our own lens. But actually, if we just stop in those moments like this and kind of go, wow, I wonder what's happening for them. That's what we can kind of find out whether the person's unwell or not. You know, it's almost like there's a good bigger lesson here for it. But no, I think it's great. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that today. And, and I think it's a, a good insight into another part of, of this process. Yeah. And look, probably the other thing for me is that the individual going through this sort of stuff gets lots of support and you know how are you and 
And to be honest, half the time they're, you know, annoying questions. How are you? Oh, great. I've got brain cancer. <laughs> but, and, and, and not everybody has the ability to, I guess, you know, I might regulate that and go, yeah, no, I'm good because I am. Mm. At the moment, I'm good. But I, I don't know how much people support those around. So when I look at my wife and the work that she does and the volume of stuff that she does, she gets support from different areas and people that check in. But to anyone else out there that's listening to this sort of stuff, please make sure that you're checking with the people that are supporting those going through this. Mm. It's really critical because if they're not balanced and they don't feel connected and, and loved and acknowledged and I don't know however many terms we could come up with, but if you're not checking in with them and they're not balanced out right, then it's just that effect, that that you know ripple effect of that then starts to impact on the family and the individual going through the illness. So it's really critical for me that people out there just check in with them. It's you know no different than I do with the old lady down the road and mowing her lawns. I don't know her. I don't know her daughter. In fact, you know, her daughter's a really grumpy woman. <laughs> but I'll check in and I'll mow their lawns just out of care. Mm. That's one thing that I've sort of, you don't hear much about it, Mm. I guess. You always hear about the individual going through it. Mm -hmm. You don't hear much about the people that are immediately supporting. That's nice. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, anyone that's listening, reach out to those people. It's really important. Amazing. All right. So moving on from here, you're on to the next round of your treatment. So that's kicking along. When is your next scan? Two, three weeks. Okay. Awesome. So we're leading up towards that. Yeah, the big scan. So the big MRI. So I honestly feel like it'll be a good result. Okay. That's how I feel. But you don't know. Like you don't know. You just don't know. So Hmm. all of my sort of fundamentals that when I haven't been great, I've struggled with in terms of vision and reading and are good at the moment. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's got to be a positive. We'll wait and see. Whatever it is. Well, you know, it is. We just, you know, it's the next step beyond that. If it's if it's held and it's and it's stayed as it is, I would be quite ecstatic. Mm-hmm. If it's had a significant growth or something like that, then I would hope that at some point this treatment kicks in and starts bringing it back the other way. But I feel positive about it, so I can only trust what I feel and and go with that. We'll see in a few weeks. Awesome. All right. Fingers crossed. <laughs> 